Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Avatar Returns. I'm your host, Paul Smith of the Gobbly Geek Podcast, and joining me, as always, are... I'm Eric Sipple. And I'm Arlo Wiley. And each week, we discuss two to four episodes of the Nickelodeon animated series Avatar The Last Airbender and its sequel series The Legend of Korra. Eric and I have seen both series before, but this is Arlo's first trip to the world of Avatar, so there will be spoilers, but only up through the episodes that we're discussing tonight. Uh, And tonight, book one of The Legend of Korra nears its dramatic conclusion as we discuss chapters uh, 108 through 110. That's When Extremes Meet, Out of the Past, and Turning the Tides. But before we get to those, uh, we have just a little bit of banter to take us into it. Uh, this is a topic we, Arlo and I, meant to discuss on our most recent episode of Gobbledy Geek, but uh, it slipped our minds somehow. However, it's about an animated property, so what the hell? We're going to shoehorn, shoehorn it in here. Um, and that's the announcement. I, I guess it's confirmed? I'm, I'm not sure if this is a strong rumor or if this is actually confirmed, but... Uh, on uh, the 27th, earlier this week, uh, Heroic Hollywood uh, broke the news that the animated Spider-Man film that Sony is putting out in 2018 apparently will focus on Miles Morales. Yeah. Is that one of the Spider-Man clones? <laughs> yes. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's uh, from, from the mid-90s. Yeah. 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 That's, okay. that's the one with the six arms. Yeah. Yeah. I got it. Cool. Um, no, of course, silly goose. Everybody knows Miles Morales is the, uh, the half black, half Puerto Rican Spider-Man that replaced, uh, in, in the ultimate comics spider line, he replaced Peter Parker when Peter Parker died in that particular universe. And he has since been <sighs> against my wishes. He's since been brought to the mainstream, the 616 yeah. Marvel universe, but he's still a fantastic character. Um, I am super pumped for this. Uh, Arlo, you and I both, I don't know how you felt about the casting announcement of Tom Holland for the, the live action Spider-Man that just debuted in Avengers or uh, I'm sorry, I lo- Captain America. I loved the, uh, I loved the, like I adored the finished product, right. but I definitely was when they initially cast Tom Holland, I think myself, like a lot of comics fans online who have now seen what he's like the the third or fourth white you know mm. skinny white boy Spider-Man in the last ten years, you know we want there to be you know you know we're always talking about how we want there to be diversity in these types of movies. Miles Morales is a popular character, a great character who is ripe for the picking, um, who they they keep refusing to use. Um, so I mean, would I love to see Miles Morales in live action? Yes. Will I accept this as a consolation prize for the time being? Yes. Yeah. Um, I agree. Um, don't we have, did we have news about writers for this? I honestly can't remember. Um, it's, it's, I don't know if they're writing it, but it's being helmed by, uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller. I don't know if they're going to be producers or if they're going to be directors. Right. Yeah. Uh, but Phil Lord and Chris Miller, uh, who did uh, cloudy with a chance of meatballs, uh, in 21 jump street. Uh, I think they're great, and I didn't, also didn't want they to do, point out... Didn't they do the Lego movie? Oh, yeah, of course. They did the Lego movie. Yeah, I knew I was yeah. getting something big. Um, but I, I just want to point out uh, this photo of them in this article that we'll be linking to from Heroic Hollywood. Uh, the photo of the two of them, I feel like if you melded their faces together, <laughs> you would get an accurate uh, artist rendering of Eric Sippel. 
<laughs> like the qualities of both of their faces mashed together. That's Eric. Wow. Oh, that's disturbing. Put those two faces in a blender with some uh, 180 proof whiskey. <laughs> there you go. Well, I, I guess I, you know, I, I feel bad that I never, I never read any of these comics because, um, from what you're saying, it definitely sounds like he's the um, superior Spider-Man. <laughs> uh, I'll put it this way, Eric: he is not inferior. <laughs> In all seriousness, I would love to read some Miles Morales stuff. I'm gonna have to. Um, I don't know if I really want to have to go back and read Ultimate stuff, but then again, I am paying for the Marvel Unlimited thing, so I can go back and do that if I want to. So, like his I, his run uh, was actually like he had a separate run. It, he wasn't in issues of Ultimate Spider-Man, although I guess it kept that title, didn't it? I'm trying to remember yeah. how this happened. After Peter Parker died, he t- I don't remember how they retitled it necessarily, but he he took over uh, the title pretty independently yeah. of the Peter Parker stuff. Um, of course, like any superhero comic, his run kind of got messed up by An giant event? crossovers and events. And so there, there, there's definitely a point where as you're reading it, because uh, I caught up with uh, some stuff I had missed recently, there's definitely a point where you know Bendis is known for his deliberate plotting and you know, seeding story ideas you know, long before they come to fruition. And there's a point where... You know, the half of I think his most recent run before the he got pulled into the the mainstream universe, half of it is really a sl- uh, really slow build, carefully setting up all of these uh, plot ideas, and then they turn a corner and everything starts happening, and none of it's that satisfying. Yeah. Um. So sadly, that happened. But since they brought him into the mainstream Marvel universe, as wary as I am of that idea. It's it's been really good. I, I just I really love this character. I really love you know his, his cast of characters. This this is the character is good enough to surpass the the lame events and crossovers that they have foisted upon him a few times. And and they they've let the title keep its own voice, even right. though yeah it's you know now part of all this craziness. Yeah. But uh, yeah, if if two guys are going to bring Miles Morales to the big screen, I think Phil Lord and Chris Miller are probably two of the better ones to do it. Yeah, I'm excited for it. Uh, it has, <laughs> they even broke news of working titles. Um, this should not surprise anybody because the two titles, uh, working titles are Miles Morales, the ultimate Spider-Man or the ultimate Spider-Man, Miles Morales. <laughs> I vote Those for the great titles. I vote for the former, but they will probably go with the latter because it puts Spider-Man before Miles Morales. I don't know right. who knows how this all works, but at any rate, that's still two full years away, so anything can happen between now and then. Uh, all right, well, unless we have anything else to say about that or any other surprise news someone wants to drop on us, uh, I guess we can get started. Yeah, let's do it. So, Arlo, why don't you take us into... Uh, we've added a new feature to the show. Every every week, you're going to give us your predictions based on episode titles. Right. Of... Uh, what you expect to see next time. Uh, so last week was the first time we did it. Did these episodes live up to your expectations? Let's start with uh, Chapter 108, When Extremes Meet. Um, Didn't I say this was going to be something about like the XFL version of you, pro bending? You did. Uh, you did. That did not come to pass. <laughs> uh, however, I will say these three episodes tonight are definitely the most intense 
so far. A lot of stuff happens. Yes. In these three episodes, we 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 hit the ground running uh, with when extremes meet. Um, basically, the 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 gang, uh, the, the the newly constituted team Avatar goes patrolling Republic City, uh, comes upon uh, some equalists, and I don't know, shit, shit just goes haywire from there. <laughs> uh, I think my my biggest takeaway from this episode, I had no idea what Avatar was missing, uh, was car chases. Right. This isn't. I'm a big fan of car chases, which is funny because in real life I am not a fan of cars at all. But I love car chases, and this is a phenomenal car chase. And the way that they use bending, like the way they incorporate bending into the chase itself, is is awesome. Like um, with the with the with the earth ramp they use to like leap over uh, oncoming traffic, uh, Bolin bending, you know earth at the the chi blockers on their motorcycles um mako using lightning like a gun at yes, the... right i loved seeing the cab of that truck just fill up with lightning and then the truck swerves and tips over was, it, was, it, it was beautiful it was phenomenal this is a really great episode actually and i think yeah. that there were three i actually liked all three of these episodes but this one this one may have been the strongest of the three for mm-hmm. me because it had a lot of like actually it had some of the really the weightiest stuff that I think, um, Arlo, I'm curious for your thoughts on that I felt like started really digging into the bender versus non-bender stuff um, in a more serious way. And especially with Tarlock's um, uh, laws that he was passing. Yeah. How, how did all that play for you? Um, Tarlock, who I already didn't like, already pegged him as a dirty politician. He takes a turn into like straight up fascism uh, in, in this episode. Um, you know, basically he proposes a law that would make it illegal to not only be a member of the Equalists, but to even be associated with them, which opens the door, uh, to basically just accuse all non-benders yeah. of being Equalists, which is what happens. Which they do. <laughs> yeah. Which, which is exactly what happens. And they just immediately start rounding up non-benders uh, who are out past their curfew as being equalist suspects who are going to be detained indefinitely, which reminds me of Gitmo. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know that we talked about this a lot when Avatar was on or when we were doing the Avatar portion of the show about how for a kid's show, Avatar dealt with some really weighty stuff. And again, I was struck by... Uh, this with this episode of Korra, where T- there's actually a line of dialogue where Tenzin says these people are entitled to due process under the law. Uh, if you would ask me if the <laughs> channel that aired like Team Rocket or whatever that was called, the sk- the skateboarding cartoon, would, would talk about due process and people being detained indefinitely, I yeah, it blows my mind. It it really digs into things to the point where. I like that it finally makes Korra stand somewhere, and I, I love the moment when one of the one of the non betters in the crowd says, "You're our avatar too." Yes, that was. Yeah. Oh my god, that's amazing. And yeah. it, and it really reframes the avatar's role in the world in a lot of ways because, especially from the last Airbender, that that was very much Aang participating in a bending conflict. Like it was a conflict between benders, right? In a lot of ways, and pretty much everything we've seen in the flashbacks as a result from Aang is also them dealing with bender issues. Not entirely, because mm-hmm. some of them weren't. I think that, um, wow, what's her face? Oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm blanking on her name. Kiyoshi. Um, right, yeah. Dealt with a non-bender um, person in her, 
like one of those flashbacks. But that said, it's been a lot of Bender stuff. So to get the idea that the Avatar's role is not just to bring balance amongst the Benders, but that the the world as a whole is her, is she's responsible for more than just than just dealing with firebenders being evil. Yeah, basically. well, I mean, uh, uh, Avatar, like you said, focused primarily on benders, and there were there were a, a small handful of non-benders, but really, it was a show about enjoying this world where kids have superpowers. Um, and then Korra has been, even though Korra has never, like, uh, Legend of Korra has just been focused more on a bender versus non-bender attitude. So it's very power- powerful to have somebody just voice out loud, particularly in such an ugly scenario in the in a scene where s- citizens are being round up, rounded up and are, you know, being threatened with detention for someone to say you're our avatar, our avatar too. I cannot talk tonight. Jeez. But um yeah, and uh did anybody else think it was weird that Cora could counteract the police earthbenders? In what way? Like the earthbender, the, the cops, they, you know, circled a bunch of people with those barricades, but then they lifted up chunks of as of the ground and were moving them away. And Cora just pushed those rocks back down into the ground. Like, I don't know if we've ever seen that. That's, that's an example of one earthbender doing something and then another earthbender undoing it. Huh? Yeah. That didn't occur to me. Yeah, I noticed that too. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna make the comment that um, that maybe she was counteracting it down, so she would have had gravity on her side. Yeah. So you know, even if her her force down was equal to their force up, she actually would have counteracted it. The physics of bending. There we go. I'm I'm here for that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, all right. Let's see. What else do we have here? Um, I mean, we we didn't even mention the cool fact that uh, all of uh, Team Avatar 2.0 now lives on Air Temple Island. Um, yes, and, and I I love um, when the gang arrives, uh, they're asking all these questions, and so Bo Lin just throws out some crazy questions like, how many uh, trees are on Air Temple Island? And yeah. I forget if it was Janora or Iki, but one of the girls is like, well, there are 10,552 trees on Air Temple Island. Yeah. Mila was like, uh, welcome to my domain. And I loved, uh, I loved him talking to Asami. Uh, we shall meet again soon. Beautiful woman. <laughs> is, was, this was the episode with um, Milo's um, fart entrance, yes. right? F- yes. Yes. We've, we've yes. been introduced to a new form of bending. God damn it. Which apparently, because uh, it happened, I think crops up maybe in in both of the following episodes. Definitely at least at in least one, one of them. Yeah, um, farting is just something we have to deal with with Milo now. Yeah, um, it's a thing now. It's it's so it's so weird to be so. We're having conversations about you know about due process, about people being detained indefinitely, about uh, fascism, about political corruption. We're having conversations about all of this stuff, and then. Milo farts a whole bunch, and you remember this is a Nickelodeon show. So, so I have a problem with this scene, which is that all the four of them. Scene? Yeah, okay. So all four of them just laugh. I know, right? I mean, that little kid just came out of this guy farting on your hand. <laughs> that is not a funny moment, man. Someone needed to smack that kid down. I and know. I know. I would not. I mean, even if I wasn't angry at Milo, I would not be laughing about him landing on my hand farting. Like, right. let's just let's just be clear about my reaction, and it wouldn't be that. That was like now you got your hands. <laughs> yeah, 
There was a version of this scene where, like, Cora punched Milo in the face and Nickelodeon was, like, too dark and they had to make them. <laughs> oh, man. And fart. it, uh, it just, okay, so later on, he actually, like, fart bends in combat. We'll get to that. That's in one of the next episodes we're going to talk about. But this scene where it's first introduced, it wasn't even that funny. It was just. No, it's not. It was just annoying. It it was it really was forced humor because he he lands and he does that goofy smile. Wait, what are we doing? I don't. I don't and then everybody laughed. It was one of those canned laughter moments that. Oh, no one was feeling. I really do think that that was a, a Nickelodeon note. I feel like they were like, "What is all this due process stuff? Where is the where yeah. is the child funny stuff?" And they were like, "Fuck it, just write a scene of Milo farting." <laughs> <laughs> it's all the more jarring because it's the button on a pretty emotional scene where like Cora is considering herself. Uh, both a failure at airbending and like a, a spiritual failure. Like she can't connect with the past avatars like Aang was able to. And the rest of the gang comes to her side and says, you know, you we're always going to be with you. We're team avatar. And then Milo farts a bunch. God, so it's uh, terrible. I'm, I'm trying to remember. I don't, did, did avatar the last airbender ever resort to fart jokes? I can't remember. I honestly don't know. I don't think so. I mean, it had some sillier, some, some, some dumber kids show humor, but I don't remember any fart jokes, yeah. let alone fart bending. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a thing now. So that is a, that's just one more power that airbenders have. I'm, it is I mean, air. I guess it makes sense. Yep. Come on. If you were an airbender, you'd try it, wouldn't you? Admit it. And I would get like a firebender to come over and I'd try and. <laughs> oh God! Oh God! All right. Well, let's uh, let's leave that image behind us and let's talk about the um, the big reveal. So there's there's uh, action sequences in all of these episodes. There's multiple action sequences in all these oh, episodes. But this one probably has the best single fight sequence, though. I think the the one on one fight sequence. Yeah, at the end. So so Arlo, how'd you feel about um, about Korra confronting Tarlock? So every superhero show worth its salt, and I feel like we can call Korra a superhero show. They have a Batmobile. Exactly, exactly. They have a Batmobile now. Um, but every superhero show has that scene where the hero and the villain have a dramatic standoff and talk about how you know similar they really are to one another. <laughs> um, and Korra you know, goes to Tarlock trying to get her friends uh, busted out of jail, accuses him you know, of using his power to oppress and intimidate people and then he turns that back on her um and says you know isn't that what you came here to do intimidate uh, me into releasing your friends and then goes on to say that he admires her because of her willingness to go to extremes in order to get what she wants um and of course Cora is like you and i are nothing alike and that leads to a pretty phenomenal fight scene um this, my my one of my favorite details about it is that the first thing I noticed when Cora walks into Tarlock's office is that there's this great waterfall. Oh, I hope uh, you're about to I hope you're about to mention what I was going to mention. Um, you know, the waterfall is such a striking detail, and of course, Tarlock being a waterbender, initially uh, immediately like his first move is to like r- remove like the the seal off the water, the, like the seal and. <laughs> use all the water bend all the water um yeah and then the, that's what my note was was oh that's what the waterfall is there for of course it is. he turns into like a crazy ice blast 
Um, and yeah, that was just a really great fight he, scene. He went, he went like waterbending ninja on her. He had that, that like bubble of water around him, protecting him from her, all of her fire blasts. But then he just kept punching it and shooting these, these ice daggers at her that she, because Cora is who she is. She's not subtle. She's not uh, dainty or dexterous. She's uh, she's a fighter. So she was boxing them out of the air. Well, I like that it starts off with um, <clears throat> with her like doing like some awesome martial arts jumps through them. Right. And then when one hits her, she just gives up on the pretense of dodging and just starts punching through them. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but and then uh, finally uses and and then goes. I love that like her earth move against it actually like moves the wall. Yes. She slaps him with a wall. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> because... it's, such, it's such a good fight. And actually it's really cool because I think this is the first time in the show we've seen Cora go up full force against an, an adult, like a fully trained bender. Yeah. Am I, am I right about that? Um, I think so. Yeah. Cause she's been fighting chi blockers and yeah, I, I, I think she fought, right. I mean, she, she's well, fought I mean, like she, she, she the metal benders. Yeah, the cops she fought, but she she, did, she, didn't really she had like fight a chase. Them. She had like a chase with them, not like a full force battle. Like she chased with them. I guess the gangsters. Kind of fight the, those, what's that? The uh, the triple threat triad in the first episode. I guess. Yeah. So there's another them. thing where they were mostly running away. Right. This was like a full on duel. Yeah. Between her and Tarlock, and and she pretty much whoops his ass. Yes, it's it's so fantastic to see her progression. She gets more confident. Well, she didn't need to be more confident, but she gets more, uh, skilled, more qualified, uh, like with every episode. I feel like if this fight had happened in the first episode, she would have had her ass kicked. Maybe. I don't know. She's always been a pretty good fighter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm like, that is the one thing where she's very different from Aang in that, she was kicking ass from the. I, mean, I think she is definitely more centered now in a way that probably helped her focus mm-hmm. on this. She has a mission, and uh, that probably makes a big difference in this. But, um, but she was. This was definitely her skill set, and I, I do like that in an episode where she's super frustrated because she can't um, connect to the spirit world. She does find a way to try to punch her way out of a problem. <laughs> of course. Um... I was going to mention our... the thing I was hoping you were going to mention Arlo when you started talking about the fountain. Did you? And, and it's actually the wall that she slaps Tarlock with. Did anybody notice the the carving on it? No. It was it was the yin yang sort of symbol of Tui and Law, the two Nuh-uh. the two spirits. Yep. Oh wow, nice. So, anyways, um, yeah. So she slaps him with a wall and knocks him out. Like, I mean, we know it's a Nickelodeon show, but. Still, she knocks him out. He's dangling from the the balcony or whatever, and she like blows the balcony out from under him. And then she jumps down to the ground and does the whole superhero landing with the crater and everything. And you just you forget for a second you're watching a Nickelodeon show and you're like, crap, she's gonna kill him. Yeah, you do get that feeling, and the only thing that trumps that feeling is Tarlock. Then blood bends her. Did you see that coming, Arlo? I did not. Did you, how long did it take you to figure out what was happening? I mean, once it started happening, like, it took me a second, like, oh, wait, we've seen this before. What is this? Because it had just been so long uh-huh. uh, since we saw Katara do that on Avatar. Um, but yeah, I, I completely forgot that was a, um, a very dark subset of waterbending. Yeah. And it's really scary. Bloodbending, it was really scary on Avatar, which was not a scary show. And it's really scary here every time they do it. Yep. 
and he's able to do it uh, when it's not a full moon. I know. What's up with that? Yeah. What is up with that? That was that was bad news. How um, does that work? And it leads to poor Qatar getting toffed. And <laughs> getting yep. toffed. Yeah. Yep. Uh, well, first it leads to her breathing fire, which is always that's a good look for Cora. Cora should breathe fire more often. But yeah. Anyways, yeah, thrown in the back of a truck and and whisked away. So, um, unless we had anything else to say about this, let me look at my notes really quick. Uh, let's see, curtailing civilian rights. No, we covered that. Uh, <laughs> far pending. Um, all right, we can move on. So, I, I'm trying to remember what your prediction for out of the past was. Oh, that it was going to be a takeoff on the 1947 Jacques Tourneur uh, film noir. And right. was it? Because I don't Whoa. know that, that movie well enough to know whether they actually pulled that off. Holy crap. Is it, Was that really your prediction? Yeah, it, it was. It was. Prediction. Because my first note on this. All right. Well, we'll okay. <laughs> this no, is what, chapter, chapter 109, okay. Out of the Past. Um, I'll tell you my first note, then you can tell me what you thought about the episode. The very first note I have written down is Cora is taken to Tarlock's noir cabin in the mountains. I, because that feels very much like something that happens in like classic noir films. The 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 bad guy always has some cabin up in the snowy mountains that he he takes his prisoner to or whatever. It's been a very long time since I've seen Out of the Past. Probably not since high school, and I I don't think this episode has anything to do with the Robert Mitchum. Movie. Laura Mitchum was not a bloodbender in that. He 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 was not. Wow, what's the uh, point then? Missed opportunity. Um, Remake opportunity. Absolutely. Um, but uh, I, I this was another great episode, and uh, I, one thing I really appreciated about this episode is that I'm a sucker for flashback episodes. And we finally get extended. You know, we had seen brief visions uh, of Aang through through Korra's eyes. We saw one when uh, uh, Tarlock was bloodbending her. Mm-hmm. She had a brief connection to Aang. Uh, and I really love that we get to see 40-something Aang, Sokka, Toph, uh, etc. I, I like that a lot. I would love like a whole – just based on what we see here, I'd love like a whole sequel series about uh, the grown-up – uh, Team Avatar 1.0. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm I'm hoping the comics go there at some point. Yeah, I would love for um, Gene to do um, something in that era because it's great. Just the little bit we get. I love adult Aang because he's so different. Mm-hmm. He's, how, how do you feel about his voice? Um, He's voiced by uh, D.B. Sweeney. Right. I know. Um, I, I like his voice, what we hear of it here. I mean, he definitely, Aang... Being a forty-something-year-old man who uh, even asked Toph, like, "I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm forty. Do you still have to keep using the nicknames?" Um, it, I can see um, he re- reminds me of Tenzin more than I was expecting him to. Mm. Like, you can definitely see that Tenzin didn't just get his calmness and seriousness from his mother. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I I like what we see of Aang here. It feels right to me. Yeah. I, I I like it because we get a view of an avatar who is very seated in his avatarness. Like Aang over those um thirty years has very much become the avatar. Mm-hmm. He's still has a little bit of his lightness, but you can even see that like the years of having to be Avatar have definitely he's a different person. He's He's more focused. He's let, he's not. He doesn't have the goofiness. Um, it, it feels right that 
the job, the role, the like, the really the destiny that he has would have made him um, not quite the the fun child right. he was anymore. Yeah. And I, I really like that they went that direction. I agree. I like uh, I, I like that you can see kind of a midpoint between young Ang and adult um, Tenzin. You can you can see where Tenzin comes from. So yeah. And I really like the where the flashbacks on this go. I think they're really well integrated into this episode. And I, uh, I know that there's there's like, there's other cool stuff happening in this episode, um, but the flashbacks are definitely the center stage, and they do a really good job weaving them through this stuff. And um, even though I mean the reveal is very interesting, I'm not like the reveal isn't like mind blowing because we've never seen Yukon before, mm-hmm. but I do love that it leads to Ang energy bending him. Yeah, yeah. Because given the what's going on in the in the main plot, I find that that aspect of this, even though the reason for these flashbacks was to set up the Tarlock well backstory, um, to some degree, it's um, it's the energy bending thing that I think is an interesting echo into now. Yeah, Paul and I were chatting a little bit um, while I was watching these episodes, and I told him uh, Amon is the Nega Avatar. <laughs> which uh what, what was my response my response was uh i quoted oh yeah it's, it's something like oh yeah he's he's a good guy we're gonna go get waffles later yeah <laughs> yeah um but yeah no that is a very interesting reveal and i think absolutely speaks to why perhaps amon is doing what he's doing or hints toward a motivation uh what is that I don't know. I'm saying uh, I think I think the two are related. I don't think it's a coincidence oh, okay, that you. we see Aang uh, remove someone's bending, and that's who, what our main villain is doing. Right, right. Um, I still think it's interesting that it looks different, but uh, I, I guess it was the whole uh, super power, supercharged Sozin's comet thing, maybe that made that last one so so uh, energetic. Right. Anyways, just take some getting used to. I feel like the this isn't really a complaint. It's a in fact, I think it makes it in some instances makes it even creepier. But when when uh, Amon takes someone's bending away, it's almost anticlimactic. Yeah, it just kind of happens. There's yeah. no big there's no big like noise. Like there's not like like rustling or screaming or anything. It just happens. There isn't even like a musical punctuation. It just the music plays. And it just keeps playing after they collapse on the ground. So sometimes, well, we'll get to that. The the big one that comes in the next episode, I had a comment yeah. about. But anyways, um, so what else do we have here? What else happened? Um, I think it's interesting that uh, Tarlock saw his father try to, you know, rule as an external force, like as a mobster. Mm-hmm. Basically saw him try to take control of the city that way. So Tarlock decided to try and rule from within. Um, I think that's interesting. Um, I think uh, the, maybe the most surprising thing to me about this episode, about the flashbacks that we get, is Councilman Sokka. Yes. Yeah, right? <laughs> I didn't even re- realize that was Sokka until uh, they said his name. Uh, it's interesting to me that he becomes a councilman. Like, I guess, I mean, it, I, I guess it makes sense. You know, he, especially as a non-bender, but I feel I like that was... I feel like he would love. 
I think he loves being a councilman. Yeah. I just feel like he loves that level of, uh, I mean, obviously he's gotten over his public speaking thing, but I feel like he loves that position of sort of authority or, or whatever. Important. And he's voiced by none other than Chris Hardwick. That's right. Wow. Really? Whom I have a complicated relationship with. <laughs> I, I, my, my note here is voiced by Chris suck it haters Hardwick. <laughs> Yep, I'm surprised he didn't do uh, the Legend of Talking Cora or something. <laughs> That's what we're doing. That's, what That's we're right. Doing. This is the Legend of Talking Cora. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, what else have we? Okay, so so I feel like the reveal, like the actual the actual spelling out of the fact that Tarlock is Yakon's son, the way that is delivered to the audience felt kind of limp to me. Because it happens, and it's, it, just, it's just it's just Cora basically saying saying it right, like she's figured it out and just kind of dumps it. Yeah, to... yeah, but she, but she, I mean, she delivers it, and it sounds like it, it sounds like there should have been a, a musical stinger there. Like it felt like it was supposed to be a really dramatic moment. And but Arlo, you can tell me because this is the first time you've seen it. Maybe it's because I've seen it before. But she says, and I know how you blood bent me, blood bent me without a full moon. You're Yacone's son. And my thought was, okay, how does that explain that? What? <laughs> what the fuck is that supposed to mean? So how did you feel about that? Did you hear a dun-dun-dun in your, in your head when she said that? I mean, that? I'm not sure the reveal would have been made better by a dun-dun-dun actually being heard on the show. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> I mean, it, it, it landed for me. The, the reveal worked. Okay. Um, I think because the flashbacks are so well integrated, the reveal, which on the surface of it could be kind of over the top or could be like just a, like one coincidence, you know, too many. Uh, I, I think it feels pretty organic. Okay. Um, I, I was, I was down with it. Uh, but if you want to talk some like melodramatics, uh, so this episode finds Cora, you know, meditating on the visions of Aang that she's had connecting with Aang, seeing those uh, flashbacks, um, one thing we've talked before about how Aang and Korra are such different uh, avatars. One thing that connects them is that uh, Aang in the flashback gives into one of the the old superhero cliches and says, "Yakone, you won't get away with this." And later, <laughs> Korra, when faced with Tarlock, says, "You'll never get away with this." So they, they both go to that well. They're both clearly the avatar. That's a very, very important part of, of mm-hmm. things. Um, that's to tell. It just shows that she's tapping into her spiritual. Yeah, side with yeah. that absolutely. Yeah. Um, but I, I do. The one thing I do love is we get to see Ang Avatar State Ang, and actually see the Avatar State does does at least in Ang's case break blood bending. Right. He's and that once was, he goes to Avatar State, he just he is out of it. That was that was turning out okay. So. We've talked about how disturbing bloodbending is. Um, I realize the the only time we've seen bloodbending before this was in a single episode. No, we saw it twice. We saw it twice in Avatar. Yeah. Uh, but, and the first time we saw it, it was used against multiple people. It was used against uh, Aang and Sokka. So this is their second time being bloodbent in this episode. But um, still, it's... It's really dramatic to watch. Uh, in the flashback, we see Yukon, and then in the in the sort of final fight scene in this episode, we see Tarlock just bloodbend groups of people all at once. Um, that was something that bothered me the first time too, uh, Paul. Uh-huh. That 
thing. And in fact, it was one of my like early on concerns with it. But actually, having rewatched Avatar and seeing that that the the evil witch lady could bloodbend multiple people, I stopped being as concerned with that because she could do it. Right. And she only could do it on the full moon. Like she could only bloodbend on the full moon. Then it seems like a natural thing that if there were people who were like innate bloodbenders who could do it without the full moon, that 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 would be a possibility because a room full of people isn't that much different than swirling around like a massive amount of water or uh, or like walls and stuff. Yeah. So how, yeah, how about it, you, Arlo? How did you feel about that? Yeah, it, it totally worked for me. To me, it just uh, underscored the power that Yakone and Tarlock both had. Um, I was going to say that the the flashback scene when uh, Aang avatars his way out of being bloodbent that was be, that was starting out to be a pretty gruesome bloodbending experience. Yeah, like it almost if we hadn't seen him avatar his way out and then just be standing there perfectly fine, I would have thought he just had his arms and legs snapped. Like it really looked like that is what had happened. It was pretty gruesome. Yeah, it was pretty gruesome. Um. Oh, I felt like I was going to say something. I was wrong. <laughs> oh, what I was going to say was, so we see uh, Aang go into the Avatar state uh, to get out of the, the – to supersede the bloodbending or whatever. Uh, but then later on in the present day, Amon just uh, walks off Tarlock's bloodbending. Yeah. Just keeps on going. I'm... And Tarlock in terror is like, what are you? To which Amon replies – I am the solution. Oh my god! Which, <laughs> given given talks of fascism and rounding up people, uh, does bring to mind a certain other solution mm-hmm. uh, from history. Mm-hmm. It, it's I, I love the that we have two echoes here of of and this makes your nega nega avatar comment pretty great that we have Aang energy bending, which ties into what we've been seeing um, Amon do, taking people's bending away. And then we get both of them within very small amounts of time on the episode walking out of bloodbending, basically. Again, in different ways. It feels different, but the effect is ultimately the same, and um, I like that. And I like that the show doesn't call it out. This is one of those parallels that I like that the show has and kind of lets you pick up on on your own. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, well, what do you make of that, Arlo? What do you think the show is telling us? That... Amon, I I don't know that the Mon's a scary motherfucker. <laughs> okay, sure, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I really don't have any great theories as to what that means. I'm looking forward to finding out. I'm looking forward to seeing who Amon actually is, if he's not the the Nega the Nega Avatar. <laughs> um. So okay, wait. I, I'm really afraid we're gonna get out of this episode without mentioning what else is going on. No. Starting with. Um, Lynn Beifong dressing her, herself suiting with, up <laughs> with her metal bending. Yes. Yeah, I, I love I love Lynn going all like Batfong yes. in this episode. Like vigilante Lynn Beifong is great. She's amazing. Just she's people. a total badass, and she's a zipper bender. <laughs> Which who knew that those suits even had zippers? But it was a it was a great joke, anyways. So, Bolin is pea pea shy. <laughs> uh, we haven't even talked about the big uh, action sequence. The, uh, the the team Avatar going down into the the sewer, the Republic City sewer confessional episode, <laughs> when they go down into the sewers to to try and find Korra and the abducted metal benders. Yep. Yeah. And 
fail, fail miserably at one thing and succeed wonderfully in the other things. What was what was the thing they? Well, failed? they failed miserably in trying to find Korra because oh, yeah, yeah. they are on completely on the wrong trail because everyone seems to think Tarlock is saying things that are true, right? Which is which is your first mistake. But she does find her metal benders who have sadly been um, depowered. Yeah, yeah, unbent. Yeah. Is that is that what we say? Unbent. unbent. Um, but we get uh, a further example of Lynn being awesome when she like bends the track and throws the tram up through the ceiling and onto the next level. Yeah. That was awesome. Uh, and I, I just, I, I love any instance of her, uh, using her mother's radar sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we did get uh, a little cameo appearance by, uh, show creators, Brian Kenitsko and Michael Dante DiMartino. Oh, really? Oh. Yep. They were the two chi blockers that, uh, were standing there when the tram showed up empty. And one of them was like, uh, it's empty. And the other one was like, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> that, that was them. Nice. Um, all right. Well, I guess there wasn't that much that happened in that sequence. But uh, what else do we have in the episode? Um, one thing that we haven't discussed so far that plays a part in all three of these episodes is that we're not quite out of the woods as far as the teenage love quadrangle uh, yeah, goes. You... Though, though Bolin has pretty much been removed from the the equation at this point. Yeah. It, it's it's shifted from Bolin being one leg in this to um, Asami just being caught. Yeah. With with the fact that Mako is kind of worthless. I mean Mako <laughs> Mako is an idiot in this episode. But yeah, he, he's kind of a moron, and I, I, you know, I don't love this stuff. I think it like is probably the weakest stuff in the episode, but it also doesn't like bother me. And it, and I, again, I kind of like how they play things happening so quickly that you don't have a lot of time to be like, uh, like most shows would have like five episodes of the Asami Mako breakup stuff, mm -hmm. basically of her feeling jealous about Korra, and in this we basically get an episode, right, of that, and yeah, it's uh... and. Asami doesn't like in another show, Asami probably would have taken it out on Korra. Right. And I really liked that. So this, even though they're continuing to play with this stuff, it's not nearly as obnoxious as it could be. And I really like um, that there isn't cattiness between uh, Asami and Korra. Asami goes out of her way to say that she likes Korra. Mm -hmm. um, her issue is with the fact that Mako, um, you know, held like withheld the truth from her about kissing Korra. Feels like she's being lied to, and is rightly concerned that Mako's uh, attention and worry are very heavily focused on Korra in these episodes. Even if, even given the fact that she was kidnapped, I mean, clearly, like you know, he pushes her. Out, he pushes her out of the way to carry her and caress her face. I mean, come on, Mako, <laughs> right. be subtle at right. least, man. Yeah. Anyways. Oh, boy. All right, so can we move to the the last episode? I think yeah. so. Right. Does, does Arlo, do you remember what your prediction was for this episode? I genuinely don't remember. I'm sure I was I. completely wrong, though. <laughs> Neither do I. I tuned it out. Oh, well. So chapter 110, Turning the Tides. Arlo? Um, you know, shit had been getting real uh, throughout <laughs> the previous two episodes, and shit continued to get real. <laughs> Uh, in this episode, uh, equalist airships descend on Republic City, as the uh, in the immortal words of the of, of the weird old man page, it is a tragic day indeed. <laughs> that was a little 
over the top. Um, but yeah, this is like the, the this really feels like oh, uh, this season is only twelve twelve episodes long. We are gearing up for the end game. That's right. Right now, yeah, things get things get pretty real on the uh, the battlefront in yeah. this episode really fast. Yeah. All of a sudden, bombs are going off and airships are attacking the island, and they're they're capturing council members. Yeah, yeah, and the the, the leadership of Republic City uh, is in Tenzin's hands. Hey, one now, of the one of the council members finally got to speak, though. <laughs> right? Though, oh, I, I I totally I totally forgot to ask. I was going to ask you guys. I don't think this is the case because I I don't think bloodbending works this way. But it just it occurs to me now that we know that Tarlock. Uh, is a bloodbender that uh, maybe that's why the three other council members always raise their hands whenever Tarlock, whenever Tarlock <laughs> brings something up. That's uh, yeah. I don't think they were probably going for that, but that's no. an interesting possibility. That's how I'm going to see it in my head though. So was anyone else really bothered by the fact that when we get to see the councilwoman's home life, like she's a fucking Republic city councilwoman, and it looks like she's stuck in like a 1950s marriage. Like, like, yes, dear. Yes, dear. Answer the door, woman. <laughs> is basically, you know, reading between the lines. Um, wow, I hadn't read it that way, but I, I don't have an argument against that. I, I just saw it as a a one-off joke. but uh... it, it, it is, but I'm like, she's a councilwoman, and her husband still gets to be just an absolute dick who expects her to do everything yeah but she's one of the three useless council members that just raises their fucking hand anytime yeah, she's one of the ones that's getting blood bent all the time i got uh, it yeah anyways but still so we need to go blood bend that useless husband of hers <laughs> well hey, we fucker something happened to him i'm sure well um, yeah anyways so what the hell do we have oh oh okay so i'm gonna bring this up now i seeded this question in the previous episode but i'm gonna bring it up now um, when Korra tells um, Tenzin and Lin tells them that uh, Tarlock is Yakon's son, <laughs> first of all, Tenzin has a fantastic re- response. He's like, "The situation is getting serious." Or <laughs> I don't remember what he says. <laughs> it's like, "Oh my God, Tenzin, you're such a dork." But Lin was like, "Well, that explains it. That explains how he could blood bend without the full moon." My response is, "Does it? Does it? Does it make sense?" Is that really an explanation? And if so, could you please explain it to us? Because the fact that Yacon could do it, I want to know how Yacon could do it. And just because Yacon could do it, why does that explain that his son can do it? Well, because bending bending is genetic. We've already sort of established that. But I mean, um, uh, you know, um, not all earthbenders can metal bend, but uh, Lin Beifong is a fantastic metal bender. Right, and so she has she has that ability. Um, we and we've overall seen that um, you know, like even just bending itself is is genetic. You don't get airbenders out of nowhere. Airbenders are born to airbenders. So someone who is naturally adept at blood bending, it would make sense that their children would also inherit that. I suppose I, I, I mean I get What's it, it I suppose but still it's it's just one of those moments where she's like oh that explains everything and I'm like does it correct actually? me if I'm wrong and I, it's entirely possible I'm wrong couldn't Katara bloodbend without the full moon like didn't she wind up doing that we had a question we talked about that I, I think that was asked a question. That question specifically because of this stuff I I wasn't sure if she had or not 
now I can't remember if we because she she bloodbends the dude on that ship with, with you know when she's with Zuko right and but I we don't never know whether that was a full moon. moon. They, I don't think they answered that question unless it was in the background somewhere. Because I think it's within the realm of possibility that you could just, with a great deal of skill and practice, you could probably, you know, master the dark arts mm-hmm. of bending. Or and, emotion, which is... Right, I mean, yeah, tapping that was rage. Emotional. Yeah. Um, and I imagine a guy like y- Yakone is probably pretty in tune with his rage. So, I mean, I, it, it, I guess it makes sense to me that it, it would... Uh, that would be passed down to his son. Though you're totally right, that is kind of a vague detail that um, isn't entirely explained. It, I, I think it just ties into the fact, like I, I can't remember which one of you mentioned earlier that uh, you know we've really we've really never seen Yakon before. All we're just getting all this Yakon stuff and these flashbacks, and we're barely getting anything of him in those flashbacks. He's just a character that we're told used to exist, and I don't know. It just it he his son is an important character and everyone talks like, Oh, well that explains everything. And I'm like, I guess if we knew more about Yukon, maybe, but I would totally watch like a 90 minute movie about the, the Aang Yukon conflict. Sure. That would be cool. And Hey, we didn't mention this. Yukon is voiced by Clancy Brown (laughs) because of course he is. (laughs) That's why that voice sounded familiar. Uh, all right. Let's see what else. What else do we get? By the way, I, we missed something in a previous episode that I I wanted to point out because it's a it's a yet another wonderful Tenzin scene, um, which was when Cora calls the police captain yes. the worst police captain ever, and he's like, "Yeah, we must have patience." Then turns around and goes, "But you are the worst ever." Yeah, and then walks out. <laughs> I love. I I can't remember if. Uh... I can't remember if this changes over the course of the series or uh, or how many times it, it flip flops back and forth, but at the moment, and I think this remains pretty consistent at the moment. Tenzin is my favorite character. Tenzin is, it, it was eternally de- like in the top of the, my favorite characters and the top of my favorite characters of all of avatar. He is probably in the like top five mm-hmm. of avatar characters for me. I just think he's fantastic and he gets better and better as the show goes on. Yeah. I don't know if I could name my favorite Korra character, but I do love Tenzin. He's yeah. great. Uh, he's got Spidey sense. He does. I love the detail of his like beard bristling. Yeah. Uh, as the electricity approaches. Yeah. That was great. And he takes out three chi blockers. Paul, does your beard uh, bristle uh, when there's lightning? No, it bristles for other reasons, but not lightning. Got it. Got it. Yeah. What- so I'm curious, was was your overall – so this is a, a fantastic action episode. This has mm-hmm. a, a lot of amazing battles. But overall, I felt like this episode was a little bit of like table setting and a little bit inconsequential otherwise. Like some important stuff happens. This is like very much a pieces moving to the end game kind of episode that you yeah, see it, every once in a while. Yeah, it's a setting the board for the final play, yeah. So it wasn't bad, but it definitely is like, well, look at all the cool action while we get all the pieces in place. And I think it's using the action to do that is much better than a lot of shows, which just have a lot of boring scenes to set the table. Yeah. But it's definitely like if you strip away the action, not much happens in this episode. Well, Emma gives birth. I was I was just going to say, so the, I think the closest thing this episode, maybe this season <laughs> does, the, cl- the closest it comes to a misstep was the cliche of having oh a fight's yeah. about to happen so, quick somebody give birth <laughs> right yeah that that was that was not great though I'm just glad they didn't name the baby hope 
<laughs> um, uh, in fact, they, they named the baby Rohan, and Paul, you were telling me what the significance of that is. Yeah, everybody's like, they named him after something from the Lord of the Rings? Um, no, uh, Rohan is a Sanskrit name that means to ascend. Uh, it it, it also it, family. I'm sure that's where they got it from, but it also happens to be a Celtic name that means keeper of wolves. Okay. So. Uh, I, I guess I have to ask, what is the point of Pima one being pregnant to giving birth here? Like, is there is this subplot in any way consequential? I, I think it's consequential only on character levels. Like, I think that that Tenzin Tenzin's family is an important part of Tenzin as a character. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, but I don't know if it has plot purpose. Like, it is. It, uh, it, I mean, I think in this episode, it served two purposes uh one was it's it, it's the final nail in the car it, it's the thing that finally pushes uh tenzin to say i can't stay and fight i have to get my family to safety right like i don't i think if maybe his wife hadn't been pregnant or hadn't specifically hadn't just given birth to their child he might not have gone that route but there's a newborn child and a a newly not pregnant woman he's like i have to get my family out of here and i do uh, think that leads to a great moment uh, it, it with leads, lynn it leads to a fantastic moment and i think that's even though lynn does not die i feel like this is one of those episodes where you get the new life and right. the death since the the depowering or whatever the unbending of lynn played kind of like a death scene before we get to the unbending scene mm -hmm. um so we were talking about the uh, the frayed relationship between Asami and Mako mm -hmm. in these episodes, and I liked that in this episode there was a, there was a what, what do we call them a Linzen uh, counterpart to that when uh, when Lin Ten, you know Tenfong I think is what... Tenfong yeah <laughs> when Lin is on uh, is on the island and is going to help out Pema seems very suspicious at first mm -hmm. and puts her on Milo detail mm -hmm. which you know i mean i'm not crazy about milo's farting so much but if you're gonna make a joke out of that him him like saying i gotta poo really bad and then uh <laughs> and like suspending him from one of her metal ropes yep that's that's the way to to do that that was a funny scene that was a funny scene and then at the end, she sees, you know, Tenzin with his family, you know, fearing for his family's safety. And she makes the conscious decision to start fucking up some airships uh, as a distraction to get them to get the Equalists off of uh, Tenzin's trail. Oh, man, what a what a what a I'm, I'm a sucker for last stands overall. Yeah. And this is a an expertly executed last stand. And it's just a. I mean, she's ripping that airship apart, and what is it, Milo, that says she's my hero? Mm, that that woman is my hero. I think that woman is my yeah. Just yeah, that that lady is my hero, and Tenzin says yes, she is. <laughs> great, great sequence. Just, just absolutely fantastic. Like mother, like daughter. Yeah, Taryn. I, I love that, and I like that they set that up really well earlier with her um, statement that she's that he's the last Airbender, you know, and he's she's not going to let him yeah. take that away. Yeah, that was that, that there's there's some aspect still of like obviously the importance of of like it was her mother's responsibility to help Ang, and some aspect of that unsaid has become part of Lynn too that she's not 
she's not going to let the the world take Airbenders away mm-hmm. after all the work that went on. And I, I, I like that little that little connection there, which also serves as a reminder to the audience in case they hadn't, if that hadn't clicked for anybody yet, that yeah, there's there's still only there's not only one Airbender anymore. There's not a last Airbender, but there's still precious few. There's like a last few Airbenders, right? There's a small handful of Airbenders, so. and, and there's only one really fully trained, right? You know, like who trains the kids without Tenzin? Who trains Korra? Right. Yeah. Korra um, who still can't airbend. And something else Korra can't do, she can't drive. And I felt a great deal of kinship with Korra. <laughs> I wondered if you uh, During that moment when, uh, for whatever reason, Team Avatar decides to let her drive. And then you know she, she didn't park the thing well. And they have like a thousand parking tickets that Mako firebends out of existence. And I love Bolin's uh, shocked reaction yeah, to that yeah. bit of lawlessness. And and Cora's like, I told you guys, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to drive. <laughs> and I felt, uh, I felt that Cora and I were one in that moment. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad you could find some kinship with the Avatar over something. Over driving, the inability to drive. <laughs> I was going to make a really off-color joke, and I won't. I refuse. Wow. I'm not going to do it. I'll do it off mic. Oh. Coward. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, there are two fight sequences. Actually, there might may have been more, but there's two fight sequences in this that I took notes on anyways. We already kind of talked about one with the island being attacked, um, which we did get more fart bending in that, but at least mm-hmm. it was better served in the fight sequence. Like, Milo is such a funny character, and then was this really a note from Nickelodeon? The baby is funny. He needs to, like, shit some more. Like, was, that, was that the note from Nickelodeon on that? I don't that that bothers me. Maybe. It, you but know, it, the at least doesn't doesn't make me angry, but it does seem like unnecessary and out of tone. I uh, to be honest, I cannot remember how often or if this comes back. Like I don't I don't remember if Milo does fart bending for the rest of the series. I, mean, I, I didn't remember it at all, but I also didn't remember the Cabbage Martins Merchant. So let's yeah. not. Um. All right. Well, so there was one like that just reminded me of. Oh no, not my cabbage corp. (laughs) (laughs) Classic. So we got um, we got one really big fight in this. There's actually three fights. There's Tenzin taking on those chi blockers with his spidey sense. There's the the fight on the island, but then there's the big fight outside of the police station or or the council building, whatever. Uh, With the mecha tanks, your mecha tanks are back. Yeah, that was a good scene too. And they've got magnets now. Yeah, yeah, that was awesome. But, but they've gotten a lot better at fighting them overall. Yeah, Korra I mean, throwing water down the vents of yes, one yes. was great, um, and um, Bolin basically redirecting the sorry, Bolin uh, Mako redirecting the lightning. Yep, went one back of them. They, they got a little better. They got a they, little better. They did have to sacrifice the Batmobile though. Yeah, yeah, the Batmobile is gone. But eh, whatever. Tenzin shoots a tank straight up into the air. That was awesome. And Asami, because uh, we're not talking about how badass Asami is enough. Asami single-handedly takes out six chi blockers. Yeah, she's awesome. She's I love that she was always like you could tell she's been tough, but like man, you you get her into a, an equal weapon position with the equalists, and um, she wrecks them. I love her. I, I do love the shock love. Yeah, I just I, it's very this this might be the first time I thought of this, but when she put it on, I don't remember if it was this episode or the last episode when she put it on and Mako said, you do know how to accessorize. Um, 
I was, it just dawned on me that it's a very asymmetrical look to have her wearing just the one glove. And it reminds me of Hellboy with his giant right hand of doom. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's cool. So anyways, all right. I think there's one more. Oh, well, there's another little fight sequence. Uh, uh, Naga gets to take somebody out. When he went, not, is this where Naga just like smacks someone down? Yeah. It's the Lieutenant. Oh Yeah. The mustache guy, as Bolin calls him, and and uh, Naga just bitch slaps him off the side of a cliff. Man, Lance Henriksen gets no respect on this show. He, this is a crazy character for such a big name right. voice actor. Yeah, I, it's really weird. I mean, like, I, I love Lance Henriksen, and I kind of wish he was, like, an absolutely major villain because he could own it. Actually, I know he can own it because we watched him own it in... Um, uh, what you call it? The Tron Uprising. Mm-hmm, yeah, he was, I believe, the big bad in that show. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, he gets stuck as like as was like was he doing this for his grandkids or something? It just seems weird that he accepted <laughs> it. Or maybe he was just like, I really could use a, I really want to get that new Camaro. So <laughs> he, he gets stuck basically as he may as well be called like Mustache Number Two. <laughs> yes. That's how yeah. consequential his character is. Yeah, which is sad, but. Maybe there's more of him coming. Who knows? Okay. Um, I feel like there was one, there's one other big moment in this that uh, yeah. I need to get Arlo's take on. So uh, Tenzin had mentioned before that he was going to call on the general of the United Forces. And right then when he didn't name the general of the United Forces, I knew like that was going to be a big reveal. And then we got General Iroh. Yeah. At the end. I, I, I had chills in Vo- that moment. Voiced by Dante Bosco. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I'm I, very much looking it, forward it, to it, that. He's not the first one of the original cast to do a voice of a different character, right? Someone else has done one? Mm, Am I wrong I, about that? I don't think so. I don't okay, is he the first one then? Yeah, I, I don't remember anybody. Well, okay. I mean... Um, Besides D, D. Bradley Baker. D. Bradley Baker, but... Yeah, yeah, no, no. I, I, I was thinking that someone else had done a voice of, of like a different character, but I, I'm I'm wrong on that. That's just my bad memory. Um, yeah, I don't remember. I, I do love it. It actually was Clan, just, uh, while Clancy Brown voiced one of the the Dai Li, wasn't he? Oh, uh, he was the main bad Dai Li. Bad he was guy. he was uh, Lin Fong or whatever that guy's name was. Yeah, yeah. The, let's not talk about the Dai Li. Okay. Um, <laughs> was his name Lin, was his name Lin Fong? No, and now it, there's it, Lin it, it was it was. I don't remember what his name was. Anyways. Way, way to go, Paul. Yeah. Who cares? <laughs> so. So General Iroh. General Iroh. Yeah. I love that this show has both a Mako and an Iroh. They 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 know how to pay tribute to their to the people that need tribute. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> um you know, I'm curious how you're feeling with the show at this point, Arlo, because you know, I I have to I was curious how I would feel because I, I love, you know, I obviously have been looking forward to this show, but um, I'm kind of wholeheartedly loving this season right now. Like I'm really excited about where, where things are going. I really can't wait to watch the last two episodes. It is a very different beast than avatar. Like I know, um, I know definitely Paul, you, you had said that you struggled with that the first time you watched it. Yeah. Because it did seem so different. And it's weird. Like when we first started uh, watching Korra, 
that didn't really hit me. Like I definitely, I knew it was a different show with a, a different focus, different aesthetic, all of that. Um, but I think now that we're really getting into like the, uh, like the, the, how the season is structured, the fact that, you know, we're, we're, we're barreling toward a conclusion. The fact that, um, I don't know, just revealing the show to be what it really is. It, it's a great show. I'm really enjoying it, but I think I am realizing more and more like, Oh wow, this is definitely, and may, maybe, maybe because we did get those flashback scenes with the, with the Aang gang, um, who are so different than we had previously seen them. I'm realizing, yeah, this, this is a much different show. Like, I guess if you were coming into this expecting the same, like, um, like the, the same hit of, you know, the, of, of Avatarness, um, that, you know, that was an awful sentence. I'm sorry. I said that, um, you might be a little disappointed. Um, but no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm loving it. How about you, Paul? I, I'm loving it. In fact, it was one of these three episodes. Um, like Arlo says, I, I've commented, and I think I've commented multiple times, <laughs> um, either when we were still in Avatar or maybe once we got into Korra, about how it is so different from Avatar that it re- it really was a culture shock for me, and it took a lot for me to get into. Um one of these episodes watching it today, I was, it, it actually dawned on me. I was like, you know what? I'd love this. I love this for what it is. I love the, I love the metal bending cops. I love the fact that there's cars. Like we get a freaking car chase. Um, I don't know. That was the kind of stuff that, that was an adjustment for me to make originally. And now I'm, I'm completely down for that, for it. So it's interesting that I feel like watching it the way we're watching in this, like, going right from Avatar to Korra, mm-hmm. um, in a lot of ways, casts into highlight both shows' strengths in a way that is, it's easier, like, if you go to Korra with too much distance between Avatar and this, or if you're just sort of, like, racing through and binging and not really thinking about it, there's going to be some massive break feeling between Avatar and Korra that you can't quite put your finger on because you haven't really been taking the time to think about it or it's been so long since you've seen it, you haven't thought about it in that way. But by really talking about the shows, I think it's made it really obvious what these shows' intents are and what they want to do and how they want to do it and makes it really easy to appreciate what those shows are. Mm. Yeah, I uh, the, the first season, book one of this, uh, maybe because it has such a a rapid pace. It's telling such a, a direct story in such a short amount of time. Um, it's always been the most, the the clearest in my memory. Um, I remember bits and pieces from books two, three, and four, but I don't really remember maybe four. I think I remember a, a pretty healthy bit of book four, but, uh, books two and three are really vague in my memory. So that's why like, I can't remember if we get more fart bending or, or any of that stuff. So that's a really important detail. It is an important detail. So, yeah, well, I, I have a little clear memories of, of two, three and four. I actually have, I, I feel like I have overall like clearer memories on Korra than I did on avatar. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a sense of what we're in for. Like I said, I'm, 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 I'm trepidatious about, about season two, just because I know that like, um, We'll we'll get we'll get actually we're going to touch on that in a couple of different places, including in in season four. There's a, a comment about season two that I can't make until near the end of season four. But oh wow, um, 
But um, this but, is oh, this but, is like this is uh, the Cora version of the midichlorian bending. You drop yes, a you yes. drop a, a teaser early in the season. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a comment that I I, I feel like I can't make because I'll ruin a moment. So uh, okay. we'll have to wait until we get there. But um, but overall, I mean, I think that like it's there is a a sense that even season one of Cora wasn't up to the level of Avatar, and I think that at this point, I thought maybe I just liked it the first time through season one, but. This is a fantastic season of television. This yeah. is just this is a this is just amazing. I, I I hated having to hit stop on these last two episodes. I really like I keep saying that, but even every time we do this more, I stop it and I'm like, I don't want to stop it. I just want to keep watching it. Well, next week is the the end of book one, so we get to we'll get to the exciting conclusion there. And that means that the following week we get to go back to the comics. Yeah, I can't wait. I'm really looking forward to uh, the search. Yeah. And then are we going into the movie, or are we doing the movie first and then the comic? Oh, I don't remember. What are we, we doing that? Were we doing that in between season one and two? Is that what we decided? Uh, yeah, yes, that's decide what that. we decided, Eric. So we're gonna do we're gonna do the comic and then we're gonna do the movie. Okay. God. Okay. We All post- right. So we have we have a, we have a, we have a few more weeks. <laughs> Postpone the inevitable. The world ends <laughs> a little longer. Uh, all right. God, Jeez. I can't wait. So, did we? Uh, was any other final thoughts? Anything to add? Show's real good. Show's real good. We got another possible uh, spinoff, Babysitter Bayfong. There you go. <laughs> uh, so, g- give me give me the episode titles for next week. Let's see if I can uh, predict what they're going to be. All right. Well, uh, how about if I run through the outro and then after I introduce the episodes, you tell me. Okay. All right. All right. So. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. As always, you can find links to this and all of our past episodes at the website, theavatarreturns.com. Links will also be posted on our parent show site, gobbledygeekpodcast.com. Subscribe to the show in iTunes to make sure you never miss another exciting episode. And while you're there, be a hero and rate us or write us a review. Help spread the word. Um, If you'd like to contact us, please send your correspondence to tarpodcast at gmail.com. Address those to monkey yahtzee of course so he feels useful um and of course you can always find us on social media facebook.com slash the avatar returns or twitter.com slash tar podcast and on twitter i am at haunt 1013 eric is at salon that's s-a-a-l-o-n and arlo is at unplugged crazy so next week arlo it's the big one it's the the big magilla book one draws to a close uh, we will be uh, join us to learn who lives, who dies, and who tells their story with the final two chapters: one eleven, skeletons in the closet, and one twelve, end game. Arlo, your predictions? Uh, skeletons in the closet is clearly inspired by the uh, classic Eminem track, "Cleaning Out My Closet." Mm-hmm. Um, I imagine there will be a lot of mamas they will have to apologize for <laughs> never meaning to hurt. Okay. Uh, as, uh, as for Endgame, that's where the game ends, buddy. That's wow. where the game ends. Wow. Your game is on point tonight. Yeah. That was deep. Yeah. That was deep. Yeah. All right. So we'll find out next week how close, uh, Arlo came in his predictions. Until then, remember, yes, yes, no, no, 10,552. Happy and I'm smiling.